earlier this summer, my wife and I planned a four-day trip up just north of Montreal. We were going to start in St. Jerome and catch a shuttle 200 kilometers up to Mount Laurier in the Laurentian Mountains, and then we would bike for four days uh, this 200-kilometer bike path, doing about 50 kilometers each day. When we were in the shuttle going up, it was raining, and it was cold, kind of dark out. We disembarked at the train station in Mount Laurier, probably about 60 bikers, two different shuttles, and uh, using the one bathroom they had, or I think there's two, went to the bathroom, came back out, and I'm under the, kind of like a pavilion, and I'm looking around, and all the bikes that everybody has are about two to $10,000, high-end bikes, right? And then there were some older folks, a few older folks than my wife and I, but they had electric bikes. <laughs> I'm looking around, and they are all putting on their rain gear. The windbreakers, the pants, got the gloves, even a little thing to go over a bike helmet, if you can believe it. And here am I in my shorts, a t-shirt, and my flip-flops. <laughs> now, I like to think of myself as a pretty tough guy, but I'm looking and thinking, because I don't usually like to wear a jacket in the summer, uh, but I'm thinking, I don't think I'm going to make it, and it was supposed to be 50 kilometers, but at the end of the day, going to our inn, it was 60, about 60 kilometers. I don't think I'm going to make it. It's so cold, and uh, it's raining. And so just as we started, you know, for a lot of the trip, it was in the mountains, so there wasn't a lot around other than mosquitoes. Um, but for most of the trip, uh, there was nothing. But here at the beginning, there was a dollar store. So my wife went into the dollar store and got two deluxe rain ponchos <laughs> for $3.50. We had splurged. It was a lifesaver, at least covered the top. So we are biking 40 kilometers, and the most we'd ever done at a time was 30. We did it one time. But we had some couples from this church say, oh, this bike trip, it's, you'll enjoy it, it's fun. Read a, rec a review in the record, and this woman, you know, oh, it's just a great trip. Okay, so uh, 40 kilometers in, it just starts to rain, and it's coming down. And we're tired, we're kind of almost dehydrated, you know, and haven't eaten for a while. We're just like 20 more kilometers to go. And uh, at this point, I had to take a stop. I had to stop about every five kilometers because there was a certain part of my body on the seat that got sore, and I had to get off my bike and stretch. And that's what we did all along until the 40-kilometer mark where my wife wouldn't stop. The last 20 kilometers in the rain, she was a machine just going for the destination. Now, that machine broke down and crashed at the end, but she was a machine. We get eventually to our inn, climb up the stairs, I put the suitcase down on the floor, and I, um, I was just, just like this. Couldn't move. I was like frozen, everything in my body hurt, and I just li literally stood there, not moving for a while. I look at my wife, and she is there just like this. 
and neither of us were moving. We were wondering if the next day we'd be able to continue. Well, let's talk about it in the morning. So the next morning we got up, it was sun, sunny out, so we did another 50 kilometers that day. It took us to Mount Tremblant. At the, in Mount Tremblant, where we were, there's the lake there, I think Lake Mercer uh, was there, and it was hot out, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna go and cool off in the water. So I go into the lake, and while I'm in the water, I notice that there's nobody else in the water. Everybody's like on the dock or on the beach because the water was cold. And I'm in the water, and I always, you know, I tell my kids, hey, mental toughness. You need to exercise mental toughness. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. So I'm in the water, swimming lengths back in the freezing cold water. I come out, and on the way back to the inn, this is what I was thinking, and I kid you not, I'm thinking like, I'm like a rock star. I'm like in my 50s, and I am so strong. 110 kilometers, swimming in cold water. What's next? The next morning, like a few hours later, I'm curled up in bed, and I can't move. And we think it was food poisoning, not sure what it was, but I'm just like, there's no way in the world I could bike. Go down the steps eventually, and eventually we got a shuttle that shuttled us to where we were supposed to bike to on the third day. And eventually I got enough, better, well enough that the fourth day we could do that last little stretch. How can it be that you can feel so strong, and your body's just full, you know, for the next challenge, and then before you know it, something happens, and you really can't do anything. And it's interesting, despite the advances in technology, despite scientific discoveries, despite the human, the collective human ingenuity around the world, we still find ourselves with bodies that sometimes don't function the way we want to, where we get sick and we're in pain and we're suffering. On any given day at Woodside, someone in our church family is suffering from an autoimmune disease, someone is suffering from arthritis, someone has a hip replaced or a a knee replaced or both replaced, someone's struggling with diabetes, someone has got fibromyalgia, someone has migraines, somebody else has just had a stroke, somebody's had a heart attack, somebody's had a, a bypass, somebody's had a treatment and radiation or chemo. When I had diverticulitis, I spent seven days in the hospital, and after that, a bunch of people from Woodside said, hey, I struggle with the same thing. And so the question today we want to ask as we continue in the series, we're looking at the book of Psalms, 150 songs. It's a songbook for the people of God. Can we, when we experience pain and suffering, can we sing? Should we sing? It's hard to sing, is it not, when we have pain and suffering? If you're here and you have, had, or you have a prolonged illness or you have experienced chronic pain, it's not so easy to sing. Can you sing? Today we're going to look at the psalm that was just read, Psalm 6, and we're going to see David in the midst of his pain and suffering singing to God. And uh, I divided this psalm up into two verses. And if you're following God, you need, as you journey through life, to sing these two verses. So may God speak to you today. Verse 1, David writes or sings, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Lord is the Hebrew name um, for covenant God. So David is saying, God, 
this one I'm in relationship with, be gracious to me. Now, we don't know why David was suffering. We don't know his pain. He wasn't experiencing simply a flu or a cold. He had some pain that was significant in his life. We don't know what event, life event that was attached to. But we do know it caused him to call out to God. Why do we experience pain and suffering? Well, in David's day, like in Jesus' day, it was you were being punished by God. Or it was simply a sign that you were not blessed of God. Or it was a sign that you are weak. And Jesus dignified the suffering. So we know that that's not the case. Sometimes we're sick because of our behavior. If I drink a lot of alcohol throughout my life, I'm going to have experienced something with my liver. There's going to be a problem there. But there's other people who don't touch a drop of alcohol, but yet have a problem with their liver. So sometimes it's connected to our behavior, but there's other times it's simply because we live in a fallen world. So our sickness, sometimes we don't know why we're experiencing what we are experiencing. But like David, we're like, Lord, be gracious to me. And then David begins to sing. Verse 1, what does he sing? He sings his pain and suffering to God. When you are suffering, you need to sing it to God. You need to sing your pain to God. In fact, if you have a Bible in the superscription, you will see that this is a psalm of David for the director of music with stringed instruments. So this was sung by the people of God. So he's singing his pain and suffering. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. It, that faint literally means I'm withering away. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. He's talking about his physical pain and suffering. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? He's talking about his spiritual pain that he's suffering spiritually in his inner person. And please understand, we need to please un understand this, that when we experience physical pain because we're integrated as human beings, our physical pain affects us mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. And pain, when it's really acute or it's chronic, it has a way of taking over, kind of shutting everything else down in our life and we're just kind of like shaken to the core with this pain. It can just become all-consuming. And so David is saying, Lord, you see my physical pain. And Lord, you see my spiritual pain. Heal me. When we experience that kind of suffering, it is so easy. That can so easily lead to depression. It can lead to anxiety. It can lead to fear. So mentally, emotionally, it's just, we're just getting whacked around, but it also affects us spiritually. How long, Lord, how long? David is crying out to God, God, why are you neglecting me? Why aren't you healing me? And when we don't get healed, we're struggling, God doesn't answer the way we want right away. It causes us to doubt his love, his goodness. God, God, do you really love me? 
It causes us to doubt his greatness, his power. God, can you really do something and heal me? And there's that tendency, those doubts, to drive us from God. We're confused. How long, Lord, is this going to go on? Have you been confused in your life with suffering? With physical suffering, it's easy to be confused in a hospital, right? Hospitals are not fun places to be. Hospitals are needles and pills and monitors and tubes and bedpans and call buttons and as if that isn't, makes you vulnerable enough, they give you a gown with the opening on the back. Like, what's that all about, right? You're just like, and you're looking at the ceiling and you're just like, how long, Lord? Why is this happened to me? Why aren't you doing something? How come this happened to me? And what we want to learn today is that as followers of Jesus, it is okay to question God. God, why is this happening to me? Do you love me? Are you strong enough? It's okay to be down. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to be afraid. In fact, if you look at the songbook, the 150 songs, uh, one section of the psalms are categorized as praise psalms. Oh, God, praise you for your creation, and we're wonderfully made. Part of the songbook and category two are thanksgiving psalms. Oh, God, thank you that you saved me from all my sins. But over a third of the songbook is filled with what we call lament psalms. Why, God? How come? And where we are deeply burdened and grieving. And we not only see that it's okay to cry and part of our experience, God's not going to strike us down. We don't only just see it in the Psalms, but we see it throughout the Old Testament. So for example, Jeremiah, prophet of God, God, I wish I was never born. And God, you did this to me, and he accused God of a number of things. And then Job, right? We go to the book of Job, and we find he's in such bad shape that his wife says, curse God and die. And he's not going to do that, but he struggles along the way. And what so often can happen with pain, because it affects us mentally, emotionally, is that we, with that pain, in time, it can begin to give us inaccurate thoughts about God and inaccurate thoughts about ourselves, so that we find ourselves saying, like Job said, God, you're out to get me. You're against me. God, my prayers are pointless. You don't listen to me. And God, I'm better off dead. So we find that throughout Scripture, people struggling in their pain. Jesus, it tells us, was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In fact, you will find in your Bibles that there was a ritual that um, accompanied this time of lament. They would put ashes on their head, they would wear sackcloth, and they would weep and fast. So it is healthy, it is good to lament. So if you're suffering from pain and sorrow and suffering, it's okay to be in that place. Now, David calls out to God to heal him. Can God heal us? Yes, he can. He said God couldn't heal. I know for myself, I pray for miracles, and I have seen miracles, 
and I have celebrated those miracles. Now, not, there's not a whole lot of them, but I've seen where it was the outright hand of God's just heal. And the, sometimes God does that. But God also heals through his providence, through what he has created and he governs over. He uses that sometimes to heal us. So that's why you have a, a skilled doctor, a surgery, and God can heal through medicines and what he's made. But sometimes God chooses not to heal. He's promised that there is coming a day where we all will be healed as his children. But he, he sometimes says that he's not going to heal. And I want to remind you that the name it and claim it, the health and wealth message that we still sometimes hear in our world is, does not only cause people to become disillusioned, I just, you don't have enough faith, but it's not biblical. Paul, a man of faith, asked God three times to take away his thorn in the flesh. We believe that was a physical ailment of, of, of some sort. God, heal me. He didn't. Timothy was sick. God didn't heal him. Trophimus was sick. Paul had to leave him in Miletus because he was sick. So at times, God chooses not to heal. So we call it to God for healing, believing he can. But if we don't experience it, sometimes we're in this dark place. That's where David is. He continues to sing in verses 4 and 5. Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? So David says, save me, Lord, because of your unfailing love. The word there is hased. It means his loyal love, steadfast love, faithful love, his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. David says, God, we have a relationship. You love me. I know that. You're never going to stop not loving me. So save me. Heal me. So David begins with reasoning. You love me. But notice he moves to bargaining with God. Uh, God, can we just pause here for a moment and do the math? Okay. You made me to praise you all the days of my life. God, look around. There's a lot of people not praising you, but I'm praising you. But if you don't heal me, I'm going to end up in the grave. The dead aren't praising you. So God, it's probably in your best interest to heal me so I can praise you. Anybody else bargain with God? I've done it a number of times, right? God, if this, then that. Bargaining with God. David continues in his song, verses 6 and 7. I am worn out from my groaning, right? He's just emotionally spent. Okay, I've just been groaning, just done. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. All night long, instead of sleeping, his mind's racing. He's got insomnia, weeping. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. My eyes, not just because I'm getting older and having problems or getting dim, but Lord, all the crying because of these adversaries around me who are leveraging my vulnerability. That's just like I'm having a hard time seeing. And just a note there that pain impacts our relationships. For David, he had antagonists, people that were out to get him, that furthered his situation, caused further pain in his life. They were tweeting him, right? David, you deserve this. You're a sinful person. They were emailing him, all caps, right? David, 
you're getting what you deserve, right? Now, you may not have people and adversaries doing that to you, but if you are suffering with prolonged sickness or illness or chronic pain, it impacts your relationships, especially if you're married, and it can either draw you closer together, what God wants, or it can drive you further apart. Because if one person has chronic pain, it can be so consuming, and the other person, it's, it's just, it's, it's hard. It's another um, thing in the relationship. And then the person with the pain can see the other person, and do they fully understand? Do they get what I'm going through? And so it can cause pain. And so David is saying, I've not only got my physical pain and my spiritual pain, but I've got my relational pain as well. So I want to encourage you today, when you're going through hard times of suffering in the pit, to sing out to God your pain and your suffering. In the pit, it's okay to have messy prayer. In the pit, it's okay for you to moan and groan and cry. It's okay for you to plead and for you to bargain. God's not going to say, listen, okay, if you just ask me one more question, if you just, like, talk anymore, I'm walking. I'm done with you. Okay, God doesn't do that. It's okay to not have everything together. It's okay to be weak and weary. It's okay to look like a mess. So when we go through things, there's a place for singing that. But David sings a second verse. And you'll find this in the Psalms. When you read the songbook, you'll often in these lament psalms find the psalmist like uh, prostrate on the ground or in a fetal position, kind of like just, I can't go on. And then they stand up and they say, I can, I can go on. I can face tomorrow. And in a number of the, the Lament Psalms, it's a progression here. It's almost like abrupt. David is just, he's pleading and, and crying and everything's so bad. And then we find verse 2. What's verse 2? He sings his trust in God's unfailing love for him. You need to sing your trust in your pain of God's unfailing love for you. Look what he writes in verses 8 and 9. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. David gets up and he says, I can go on because the Lord has heard my prayer. He accepts my prayer. Now, nothing's changed in his life. He's still got everything as it was, but David knew the character and the promises of God. And so he gets to the point where he says, this is horrible, but God, you hear me. And so by faith, in confidence, I'm getting up and I'm facing another day. And that's the choice we all have to make when we are in pain and suffering. Am I going to turn to this God, believing what he said in his word, and he is a God who loves me, or am I going to turn away from me believing that if he really loved me, then he would have done something, so I'm not, I don't really care anymore. I'm stopping everything. We've got to make that choice. We have to choose whether we're going to listen to his voice as the loudest voice in our life, that God says, I'm sovereign over your suffering. I see you. I know you. I care. We can listen to that voice, or we can listen to the voice of pain that's screaming, that says, God can't help. God can't be trusted. Look, look at yourself. We've got to make the choice. There are followers of Jesus down through history who have said, in the midst of my struggle with this illness, with this disability, with this, 
I'm going to still trust in this God who loves me. And one of the best examples in my life that I've seen is Johnny Erickson Tata. And when I was growing up, I read her book. It was a book on her life and then uh, watched the movie as well. But if you're not familiar with the story of, 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 of Johnny, she, uh, 17, 18 years old, was in an accident and she was paralyzed from the neck down. She, she's a paraplegic. And for five decades, she's been in a wheelchair going around. And uh, God has used that. She has a, a ministry to the disability community around the world. In fact, before the war in Ukraine, um, her ministry was over there, and they get Bibles to, to people with disabilities and wheelchairs uh, to people with disabilities. She brings the love of Christ to them. But she said in the five decades that she's been a paraplegic, that is a walk in the park compared to the chronic pain that she has suffered for the last two decades. And she says, it's hard for me at night to wake my husband up for the fourth time to ask him to turn me on my side to lessen the pain. And so in her bed, in, with searing pain, where does her mind go to? Is she going to go away from God or is she going to go towards God? And it's not easy, but she has made the choice to continue to say, God, I'm listening to your voice. I'm going to continue to sing to me. She's come out with a new book called Songs of Suffering where she looks at 25 hymns of the faith and these truths of God and in the middle of the night she sings them to God. One particular song is standing on the promises of God my Savior. And she literally can't stand. She's in bed, can't move with pain. But she says on the inside, I'm standing on God's promises, on the promise that God is for me and not against me, the promise that Jesus is my Savior and he's promised me where he is, I'm going to be with him. I'm standing on the promise that Jesus is alive, that sin and suffering doesn't have and this, this um, disability doesn't have the last word in my life. I'm standing on the promises that one day I will not have this body in this condition but as Paul says in Romans 8, the redemption of the body, I will get a new body. As Paul says in Philippians 3, it's a glorified body. It's a body. This lowly body is going to be transformed into a healthy, perfect body. I'm standing on the promise that one day that I'm going to be in a place where there is no more sorrow or sickness or death or pain or suffering. She had to make the choice. And if you're here struggling, as hard as it is in the deep night of your soul, it comes down to you making a choice. Will I listen to God in his voice or will I turn from him? If you're here and your pain is overwhelming, you can center your mind on him, that he's your fixed reality. You can count your blessings as hard as it is. People in chronic pain will tell you that when they begin to thank God for just little things in time. God uses that. You can count your blessings. You can claim your promises, the promises that he's given to you, a Bible verse or a number of Bible verses that you've memorized and you sing out again and again. You can consider your future, that death and sickness and sorrow does not have the last word that Jesus and his love for you does. And can I also encourage you, if you find yourself 
and you just really are struggling, that you would reach out. We were not meant to go through life alone. And if you're in physical pain, that you would reach out. If you're in emotional pain, that you would reach out to others. We need, and I will say this, Christians in our lives. Why? Because we, like Job, can begin to think inaccurate thoughts about God and about ourselves just because of the suffering that we're going through. We need someone around us, whether it's in a life group or whether it's with our congregational support ministry or whether it's just uh, someone going for prayer with you and praying for you. We need someone to say, God's got you. He still loves you. And if you're able, you still need to come to church because it's that church that you hear week after week that eventually it's not only just going to be okay, it's going to be better than okay. And I'm going to hang in there until that day. And when we're suffering, again, those of you that chronic pain, it's, it's not simply a one-day, one-off. It's a struggle all through life. But you're choosing to say, Lord, you've heard me. I'm going to go and keep living. Your health may quit, but the love of God for you cannot and will not quit. It cannot fail you. David knows that his pain and suffering does not have the last word, but he also knows that the enemies that are out to get him don't have the last word. Look what he says in verse 10. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. David is speaking future tense. Those that are out against God and against me, God will deal with them. That God's love has the final word in my life. David in Psalm 13, similar uh, psalm where he's like, how long, how long, how long? He ends his psalm this way. Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. But I trust in your unfailing love, my heart rejoicing in your, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. That's not easy to do, but God can help you to do that. And then I want to speak for just a moment to all of us as followers of Jesus who are not struggling with our health. And by the way, for those of you that are young, remember your creator in the days of your youth because there's a day coming when the years will take its toll on your bodies. I speak from experience. But for all of us as followers of Jesus, following him leads us toward the sick and not away from them. Let me say that again. Following Jesus leads us towards the sick, towards the weak, towards the marginalized, and not away from them. Why? Because the one we're following was a man of compassion. He cared about people. He went out among the people, bringing his love to them and healing them. And then he tells his followers, he says, knowing that he's going to be going and leaving them, he says, and he talks to them about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, he says there was this guy who was beaten up by robbers and left for dead, and nobody helped him, but a Good Samaritan came along and took care of him and helped him. And then he said, go and do likewise. And then another parable, the sheep and the goats, he says there's this king who returns and to his people, and he wants to reward them. And he says, I- I'm rewarding you because you cared about me. You visited me. You looked after me when I was sick. And his people said, when did we see you sick? When did we visit you? And he said, when you did it for the least of these of mine, that as followers of Jesus, we care about people 
who are weak and sick. In the first century and the centuries after Jesus, those followers obeyed him, and they changed the Roman Empire. Because in the first century, in the Roman world, but in the, the, the whole known world, what was practiced that was common was infanticide. So that if you had a child that was weak or you had a child you didn't want, it was a struggle for the, the fittest, that you would just abandon your child to the elements. And so these Christians would go around caring for the weak and the abandoned, and they brought them into their homes. They were a light in that dark world. Fast forward 2,000 years later, and Richard Dawkins, an atheist, responding to a woman on Twitter who said, you know, she was struggling with the dilemma that if she should be pregnant and had a child with Down syndrome, what should she do? And his response, abort it and try again. It would be immoral if you had a choice to bring it into the world. And we're kind of shocked by that statement. But that was common. Why isn't it, why are we shocked today? Because followers of Jesus changed the world. Not only did they bring the weak into their homes and care for them, but if you look at history, the 4th, 5th, and 6th century, public hospitals were started by Christians. Fabiola, she was a woman in Rome. She started the first public hospital in the West. She had money and she funded it, but she was also on the street helping the sick and the poor. Christians doing that down through the centuries. That's what we're called to do. In fact, Frederick Nietzsche, another atheist, some of you would remember him with the quote, God is dead. But Frederick Nietzsche spoke of the poison of pity. And he said, you know, the laws of evolution, these, these Christians that are taking care of the weak, that they're thwarting the laws of evolution, the law of selection, that nature selects the strong and eliminates the weak. And the Christians were doing a bad thing. If you're a young person today, you may hear that Christianity is oppressive and it's, there are people that misrepresent Jesus, but Christianity is about one who cares. And around the world, there are Christian ministries today all over the world who are caring, just doing the work of Jesus without any fanfare. So I don't know what that looks like in your life, if it makes me a phone call or getting together with someone that's ill or encourage them with a card here at Woodside. Maybe it means in the future that you would join the prayer team and pray for, for someone that's sick. Maybe it means helping out with Friendship Club uh, where we have a night where uh, people with adults with disabilities, you can come alongside of them. Maybe it's considering our, our care support team. There's so many ways you can become involved. Maybe it's just, you know, you're giving to these causes, but you have a heart that cares about people that are going through pain and suffering. So I want to ask you, if you're suffering, will you today Say, Jesus, I'm going to sing your song. It's so hard, but I'm going to keep trusting in you. Would you make that commitment, that recommitment today? And then for those of you that aren't suffering, will you say, Lord, use me? Would you be used of God in that way? In just a few moments, uh, we are going to uh, have anointing with oil. We've done this before uh, at Woodside. And at the end of the service, after the service, uh, just to my left, uh, through the doors, 
where we will uh, anoint someone with oil. So uh, why do we do this? Well, in James chapter 5, James says, if, if any of you are ill among you, to call the elders and they will pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save you. So this is an act of faith where we believe if you're struggling with some uh, prolonged illness or you're some suffering in your life, that you would come and we anoint you in the name of the Lord and uh, he can heal right away. It may be a future day, but it's an act of faith uh, and so we are going to practice that and do that after the service. So if you like, you can make your way uh, there. But before we do that, um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and they're going to lead, and they're going to sing a song, and it's called Blessings. It's by Laura Story, and uh, she wrote the song just over a decade ago, and Laura found herself um, in that dark place, the pit. Her husband, uh, they were both young. Her husband was just diagnosed with brain a brain tumor, and God wasn't answering her prayers, and she was questioning God when her sister, I believe it was her sister, said, Laura, maybe God is going to do something through this, and you don't know what it is, but will you trust him?